Thank you. And thank you for that lovely introduction. I'm so excited to be here. Uh, I am located in Boston, so it is roughly around, you know, nine-ish here. And I am super wired and super excited to be sharing with you something that I'm particularly passionate about. Um, so as, uh, as our host graciously introduced, yes, I am Dan Newman. That's me. And I am the Chief Learning Whisper and founder of Learn to Scale. And it is my joy to work with all different types of professionals, both in corporate in education and nonprofit to help them find ways to get better employee engagement and just really make their workplaces phenomenal places for people to be successful and really, you know, achieve greatness in whatever they try to do. Um, my specific work tends to work with a, a lot of HR and employee engagement professionals, but the topics that we cover in our in our cohorts and our, our group coaching sessions, they're all super relevant and I love to share it with different types of audiences. So I'm honored that I get to share it with you. So today I'm gonna to talk a little bit about emotional intelligence for difficult conversations. And I do have a slide deck that I'm happy to share with this as well. So let's pop the slide deck up on the screen and I'll talk a little bit about what we're gonna be covering today. Oh, that's me. I love this little setup. I'm so wired. Also, just as a heads up, I'm giving a disclaimer. Yes, I walk around with a microphone like a game show host, but really I'm trying to hit my step goal tonight and I'm really, really close. I'm trying to get a million steps by the end of March. So if I walk back and forth, that's just because I am, I'm so jazzed up and looking to get those steps in. Anywho, so we're talking about emotional intelligence for difficult conversations. This is me. You've heard about me. Uh, if you do want to contact me and you're super interested in what we're talking about, uh, you can email me at, at dan at learntoscale.us, or you can go visit my website, learntoscale.us. And there's lots of other content up there. I you know, write blogs and you know I have a newsletter, but this is my jam. I love getting up on video and showcasing this because I've spent a lot of my time in front of webcams, not just in you know, this pandemic world that we're in. But over the past 11 years, I've been doing learning and development and training and workshops in remote and distance settings for since I started working in learning education. So this remote world is a place of power for me, which was kind of a blessing, even though it is a, you know, a cursed blessing in a way. Uh, and I worked with K through 12, higher education and corporate learning and development to do all these workshops. So this is this is like my happy place. So I'm super jazzed to share this with you. So the goal of today's little talk, at the end of this experience, and I like to use the word experience because for those of you watching live, you can chime in. This can be like a live, 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 live show. Um, so by the end of this experience, you're gonna be able to define the four quadrants of emotional intelligence. And if you aren't familiar with emotional intelligence, you're gonna learn what that is. Uh, you'll also be able to identify eight questions to clarify how you approach difficult conversations with emotional intelligence. I want you to be able to walk out of this session being able to do something and have questions to ask and things that you can do so you can really drive change in whatever context that you're in. How we're gonna do that, here's our little agenda. So I'm gonna define emotional intelligence for you and talk about how you can apply it to the workplace. We're gonna talk about giving feedback and then receiving feedback because those two sides of the coin are places where you can use emotional intelligence. Then we're going to talk about things that you can do, some best practices to build a culture of feedback. And I have a challenge for you. So stay tuned. So difficult conversations, you know, it's the header of this particular talk. Uh, 
these are types of difficult conversations you may have uh, with either your team, your employees, your colleagues, your partner, your patients, and the, they're, they're tough, right? They're, they're difficult to like go in and just kind of like put on your adult pants and say, we need to talk about something that's going on here. And well, I was thinking about this presentation and I wanted to disentangle a bad diagnosis from a difficult conversation because a bad diagnosis, you connect the dots as physicians and you kind of give the best recommendation based on the data that you have. That may be bad news. And of course, emotional intelligence will soften the delivery of bad news. But a difficult conversation is when you have to kind of engage in this social fabric between people. Maybe it's an employee who's showing up late, or maybe it's your team. You have to admit that you may have COVID <laughs> and engaging in that type of conversation. So that's the frame set I want you to be thinking about, those difficult conversations versus just bad diagnoses. So what is emotional intelligence? Well, emotional intelligence is super sexy right now. A lot of businesses have recognized that emotional intelligence is a key differentiator between okay performance and excellent performance. Being able to use emotional intelligence has real business outcomes, health outcomes, social outcomes. You're going to be a better partner if you can engage in emotional intelligent behavior. But at its most core, emotional intelligence is the capacity uh, to be aware, uh, to control your own emotions and the emotions of people around you and leverage those different varying emotions to get things done. And practically speaking, I like to use the Daniel Goleman model. So if you wanna go Google Daniel Goleman, his model is actually a great model, but I have a little simplified version because I like it a little more prescriptive. So if you take a look at this little graph here on, my, on, on this side of the screen, here we go. Uh, on the X axis, we have thinking and doing. So thinking, this is knowledge, this is awareness, this is information, this is things that you can know. And doing is the things you can actually do. It's behaviors, it's habits, it's choices. And then on the y-axis, we have the self and we have the social. Self are things that are completely under your control. They're you, they're inside you, you're there, your thoughts, et cetera. Social is just like everybody else. Everyone else around you is the social piece. So when you take these two axes, you have the grids pop up. And this first grid where think and self intersect, that's self-awareness. That's knowing yourself. That's knowing your preferences. It's knowing your triggers. It's knowing how you're thinking and feeling. So being just in your own space, in your own body, knowing what's going on. Then we move into the self and do. This is self-regulation. These are the things that you can do, the habits and the behaviors that you can, you can follow so that you can get the things done that you need to get done. So I like to style it like this. So I love cheeseburgers. I love a really good, thick, you know, medium rare cheeseburger, fresh off the grill at the barbecue. That's like the best. And I don't know when the next time I'm going to have that because I don't know when I'm going to get the vaccine. But besides that, I love those cheeseburgers. I am self-aware that I love cheeseburgers. I'm also self-aware that I may binge on cheeseburgers. If there's a second cheeseburger on the plate, I'm gonna go for it. I just know that about myself. So from the self-regulation standpoint, if I'm going to the barbecue, I load up my plate with the beans and the coleslaw and the vegetables. So there's just enough space for one cheeseburger. Otherwise, I'm gonna see two on the grill and I'm gonna ask for both. So that self-regulation are the choices and the behaviors I can do to moderate you know, whatever I wanna get done. So let's talk about the next grid, social awareness. So this is awareness of how other people 
behave and act and think and feel. It's how things get done around here. It's the culture. It's the preferences. It's how someone, you know, likes to be treated. It's knowing that information. That's you knowing this information. So you're socially aware. And then the do. This is the social skills. When you hear emotional intelligence, most people jump right to this segment of how well can you, you know, leverage the environment you're in to drive change. But really social skills is all that confluence of this other information to try and drive change. It's knowing that Dan loves cheeseburgers. Well, I'm going to have little plates at the barbecue because then he'll only have to have one cheeseburger and that's what he prefers and he'll be happier by that. Um, in a business context, it's knowing that you know sales teams for a lot of organizations have end of the month quotas. And so that social awareness that ah, at the end of the month, all those sales reps are going to be calling you up. And all those sales reps are going to be hustling to hit that number. The social skills is, you know, if you actually want something at a better rate, maybe you wait to the end of the month and then talk to the sales rep and they get you the better rate because they're hungry to close that deal. That's the social skills. It's the choices you make. So let's talk about some questions that you can use to learn more about these particular categories when we're looking at difficult conversations. Uh, this is my push button little picture because we're going to talk about pushing buttons. Okay, so self-awareness. One good question to ask about self-awareness is what escalates you? What are your triggers? So difficult conversations, they conjure up all this emotion. If someone says something that just grinds your gears, what is that thing? Do you know what that is? Are you actually consciously aware that this might be a trigger? Something to think about. Two, under social awareness. What is the environment for feedback? So let's say you have to have a difficult conversation with somebody. Do you just call them up in the middle of the day when they're in the middle of their flow and they can't pay much attention and then you just catch them off, you know, off guard? That may not be the best environment for the feedback. You know, if we were back in the office, you know, popping into, you know, the patient examining room, when the patient's there, is that the best place to tell your, you know, colleague that they're showing up late for work? No. That's not, that's not socially aware, but is there a better time? Is there a better environment for feedback? Self-regulation. Now, what can you do? How do you set yourself? So, you know, I know that I'm going to walk into a difficult conversation. I need to disclose to my friends or family that I caught COVID and I am, I'm really ashamed of it because I did something stupid. I didn't actually catch COVID, but you know, Roll with me for this. So how do you set yourself for that conversation? Do you get really anxious? Do you breathe heavily? Or do you, do you slow things down? You turn off your phone, you get a drink of water, and set yourself, knowing that your physical reactions will influence your emotional state. So what can you do to self-regulate? And then on the social skills category, how can you alter your behavior? Because that's really what you only have control over. How do you alter your behavior to alter their behavior? You might want to get something out of a patient or out of a colleague or out of an employee. What can you do to change how you act to try and get the outcome you ultimately want to see? If you know that your front desk admin is not great at forwarding the emails to you, you know, you get them at the end of the day rather than at other times of the day. What are ways that you can work with that person to get the information at a time frame that you need? Do you want to set up an automation and help them kind of automate that away? Do you want to set a check-in time with that person? What can you do to leverage your relationship and do it in an emotionally intelligent way to get the outcomes you want to see?
Now, you're not only going to be on the delivery side, you're also going to be getting some feedback too. A great person, great human is someone who can give and receive feedback in an emotionally intelligent manner. So this is like the other side of, of getting in feedback in those difficult conversations. Someone might come up to you and say, we got to have a talk. How do you respond in those types of conversations? So let's look at that grid again. So the self-awareness, how do you act when there's a failure or if something went wrong? So something happens, maybe you get locked out of your car or you know you drop something or you forget something. Do you blow up? Do you just complain? Are you angry? Do you just get, oh, you just grind your gears? That type of behavior, other people can see that. So if you're the kind of person who blows up when something goes wrong, people might not be willing to give you authentic, true feedback. Your actions, your self-awareness will influence how they react. So knowing how you just tend to like naturally react when you're in the moment is going to be an important play for improving how you get feedback. When you think about social awareness, is there a time and a place where people can provide feedback, either up or down the chain of command, whatever type of context you're in? So is there an appropriate place? Is there a place where someone can say, you know what? This is the feedback place. This is the venue. This is where you should be giving feedback. Maybe it's an anonymous form. Maybe it's a, a weekly survey. Maybe it's a end of year survey. Is that the appropriate place to provide feedback? Well, it may be to you, but is it to everyone else? Is, do they want to wait to the end of the year to give bad feedback? Is there a place where they can actually tell their superior or tell their direct employee, hey, you're not doing so well, or there's a problem here? This is starting to get to that culture of feedback and emotional intelligence is going to lubricate that culture of feedback so that you can drive more change, be a better doctor, be a better employee, be a better colleague. Having a place to provide feedback can, can influence that. So let's talk about how you behave when bad feedback or you know bad news or a difficult conversation comes to you. What language, and this is kind of something you're going to have to practice, but what language can you use during the now feedback, when you're getting this, to encourage future feedback. Think about this for a second. If someone comes up to you and says, hey, I need to tell you something, and I don't know if you're going to like it. Are you going to say, are you going to get defensive? So a little self-awareness. Are you going to say things like, just spit it out? Or are you going to say something like, hey, I'm really glad that you came to me with this. Let's totally sit down and talk about it. So that language is now encouraging them to the next time they have feedback that it's not going to be a scary event. It's not going to be something where they're, you're going to kill the messenger. So how you behave when that feedback starts coming at you will encourage them to give feedback more often, which, which is a good thing. So this is the social skills. This is like the money question here is what can you do to foster a culture that encourages constructive feedback in all directions? Now, wherever you're working, whether you're a solo practitioner, you're part of a large organization, you are, you know, working with lots of different providers, if you're an adjunct, you know, whatever capacity you're in, what can you do to foster a culture that encourages someone to give bad news to you and for you to give bad news and engage in difficult conversations with them? When feedback becomes normal, people tend to benefit in the long run. It's awkward, it's painful, but it's if it's coming from a good place, feedback is a gift. So 
How do you dress up that gift in a really pretty way? Well, here's some best practices for emotionally intelligent feedback. Okay. This is also, this is things that I've observed in my career, both in the elementary school context, in the middle school context, in the higher education context, in the corporate context, uh, in coaching conversations and one-on-ones. These are some things that have generally floated up as what I call good practices. You might have your own, but these are the things that I found work in the conversations I've had. So scheduling time to collect evidence, especially if there's you know a, a, an issue going on, go out and find data and evidence that supports whatever type of bad feedback you might need to be giving. Rehearse a conversation that you know is going to be incendiary. Take some time, figure out kind of what your talking points are so you don't stumble through a, a tough conversation. Just be elegant, quick to the point, etc. Um, always add that I might have missed something to a hypothesis. So, you know, you may not have all the information and that is an assumption you should always be making. You don't have incomplete, you have incomplete information. Picking a private space and time is great because it means that the feedback is not going to um, be this kind of like social stigma, like you're calling someone out in the middle of the floor or, you know, you're stopping someone in the hallway and everyone else is listening to it. A difficult conversation should take place in a more private space. But you don't want to jump on them and say like, let me just grab you and just put you in my office and just stick you right there while, while we have a tough conversation. But also don't wait too long. Two days is kind of that like maximum, you know, time frame that you want to be thinking about, because otherwise, they're not going to exactly remember the, the situation that may have spurred this, this tough feedback. So before a feedback event happens, it's good to get a baseline of how do you prefer your feedback? Do you like it direct, blunt, right in your face? Or do you like to be walked into a conversation? You know, those types of people, they need to talk a little about the weather. You got to say, hey, you did a great job with this thing. Hey, I, you know, I just want to talk a little bit about this thing that happened. Um, there's also a nice cultural division here. So depending on the culture, uh, people are you know, from different types of different parts of the world, they tend to prefer feedback in different ways. You'll have to figure that out on your own. So it's good to encourage the development of shared agendas, especially when you're having regular, for example, one-on-one -on -one meetings with your employees or with, with people that you work with. Um, have a shared agenda and don't hide feedback. Don't make it a surprise that you just pull out. And set expectations that feedback's a weekly event. This makes difficult conversations a lot easier to have if you're doing it all the time called practice. Um, also, if you are managing someone, encourage people to develop their own solution. It's really tempting to say like, here's what you got to do. And especially if you're, you know, a smart cookie, like most doctors are, you have a lot of knowledge. But the ability to develop their own solutions, that changes a difficult conversation into a developmental conversation. Yeah. And then they become really awesome employees and they're just crushing the game. Finally, a really easy behavior to adopt, just say thank you when feedback is given to you, and then just follow up in the actions that you said you're gonna take. It's pretty straightforward, it's pretty simple, but you're gonna have to practice it. Because when someone tells, that, tells you that you did a bad job, your automatic response might not be thank you. But if you can groom yourself that your muscle memory says thank you, kind of sets the stage that next feedback is gonna come a little bit easier. So thinking about this, your homework assignment is look at those four zones of emotional intelligence, the self-awareness, social awareness, self-regulation, 
and social skills. What's one zone that you could practice this week? What's something that you go in and say like, you know, I want to be more self-aware before, you know, I do this particular task. So pick one of those zones. And then really the, the, the takeaway is figure out what do you want to improve about yourself by practicing that behavior? This is not just like a, a fluffy, you know, hey, this is a cool thought exercise, but we're not going to do anything about it. Emotional intelligence is going to have huge outcomes. And it's not brain science. I mean, there may be some brain surgeons here, but it's not brain science. It's something that everyone can practice. They can hone. It just takes a little thought. It takes a little self-reflection. And if you can figure out what you honestly want to improve about yourself, if you can be honest with yourself, then pick a zone and try something. Try to figure out a way that you can take it up just one more notch. See if you can be a little bit more emotionally intelligent. And see how it goes. And you might benefit. You might not, but it certainly probably won't hurt to be more considerate. So I hope this little talk has been helpful and been interesting. Um, I do these talks often, and I usually have little feedback surveys, just kind of see, like, what did you think? Did you get what you wanted? Um, and so if you head to that little link there, the bit.ly slash hardfeedback, uh, it'll pop you to a, a little form. It's a real casual anonymous survey that just helps me as a presenter who talks about emotional intelligence get better at what I do. And this is a great place to practice your emotional intelligence feedback because what went well, what didn't go so well. Um, and at the end of that, uh, a lot of my work is with employee engagement professionals. And I developed a guide that really helps people think about um, people's journey throughout an organization. Uh, in today's day in society, people start a job, they grow at the job, they develop themselves and then they leave. That is the employee life cycle. Every organization has it in some capacity. You are also in some type of employee life cycle. Uh, and there's a guide to how you can drive more engagement at those different stages of the employee life, life cycle if you fill out that little survey. It is anonymous. You don't have to give me your email. But anywho, that's my talk. Uh, I hope it's been helpful and informative.